This episode is episode one of a mini-series we are launching here on Third Paradigm called Keep the Fire Going, Autopsy on the Concept of Whiteness. With the inauguration today of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, we here at Third Paradigm felt it is critical to keep this conversation going in regards to what whiteness means and how history has structured our policies and socioeconomics to this day around whiteness at the expense of people of color and other marginalized communities. The domestic terrorist attack on the U.S. Capitol has shown the world how white supremacy is still alive and influencing the next generations. We hope that our roundtable discussions can help influence progress, even in the smallest ways. This series is designed for white hosts to talk to other white panelists focusing on racism and white supremacy. All our episodes encourage diversity and inclusion, but we at Third Paradigm felt we need white people to be able to talk to other white people about whiteness and racism and confront biases, stigmas, and other difficult conversations head on. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. We release episodes every Saturday and Hump Day PSAs episodes on Wednesdays. Thank you. Welcome to Third Paradigm. We are your hosts, Clarity and Nuance. Third Paradigm is a digital third place, which is where people practice the art of conversation. The hosts and guests come from all backgrounds and all different ways of thinking. We at Third Paradigm will discuss ideas and the facts of life with respect while pushing the envelope. Full disclaimer, hosts and guests will share their opinions. The opinions of our guests are strictly their own and do not represent the opinions of Third Paradigm. However, when we the host share facts, we will back them up with evidence. If we are wrong, we will make it right as soon as possible because we believe in practicing integrity. Welcome to Third Paradigm. Uh, Clarity, what episode is this? This is an autopsy on the concept of whiteness. And this is definitely part one because we're going to go more into this in depth as we go on. Yes. Um, and many it, episodes to come. Right. And it is going to be a little different today because there are only three of us, so we're going to do kind of a thing with each other, just asking each other questions. And uh, who do we have on the call today? Can you introduce yourself, please? Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I'm Louise. Great to have you here, Louise. Thanks for coming, Louise. All right, so we don't want to get too hard into the nitty-gritty right away, so I have a fun little icebreaker question in my noodle that I'm going to share. All right, so if you had to pick, you had to wake up every single day with one of the two, would you pick coffee or tea, and what would you put in? That's an easy one for me. I'm a hard black coffee drinker. <laughs> uh, I would definitely go with tea. Um, I have to slam coffee down in order to get energy, but if I had to pick, it'd be tea. I am big into coffee with uh, lots of creamer, uh, Italian sweet cream specifically. 
<laughs> Got to add that extra little flavor to it. Uh-huh. And then I don't have to put any sugar in it because it's already got sugar in it. If I need but to drink coffee, usually it's mostly cream and a little bit of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> you, have, you have some coffee with your cream. Exactly. Right. All right. So uh, if we're ready to jump into it, the first question that we have today is, what is white versus Caucasian in your opinion? Uh, I'll go ahead. Um, so grew up in a really small town and everybody, most, I shouldn't say everybody, most people there were Caucasian. Um, and most had, you know, backgrounds of European descent. However, when people, when you ask people, what's, what are you? They say white versus Caucasian. It kind of tells you like what they know about it. Um, I think being white is having the mindset that you're different um, as the way you think. Whereas if you're Caucasian, you're saying where your heritage lies. Sure. I could see that. I think that um, Caucasian is going to be more of one of those, this is just my thing. Uh, Caucasian is going to be one of those things where it's something you see on a piece of paper. It's something you have to mark. Um, and I feel like questions like this, um, while are very important and absolutely need to be answered, for certain, there are certain times where that question is going to create a, um, a difference. For example, people saying um, there are white people and then there are people who happen to be white, and it's separating them, the two, right? Which, okay, that's fine. Uh, if somebody not white chooses to do that, I'm not going to tell them not to. However, we have to make sure that as white people, we are not letting that separation keep us from having accountability for our whiteness, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think personally, I, I definitely agree with the um, Caucasian is, you know, in my view, a, a box that you tick on a census or on something along those lines. Whereas when someone says that they're white, that has definitely a different meaning behind it. There's, there's, it's not just their heritage that they're talking about. It's their environment, their, um, their privilege, you know, those things that go along with it. Absolutely. All righty. So what have, I'm going to go on to number two. What have the white individuals in your life taught you about race, racism, and white privilege? This is family members, friends, teachers, students, people at work, people in like extracurricular activities at like places for worship or religion, just as an example. Sure. Um, uh, clarity here, I'll answer first, I guess. Um, the for me, the white individuals being my parents that I think introduced me into a community of adults, and not all were white, but of that, you know, some of them being white and more of a leading by example almost and calling things out. Um, I, the religion that I was raised with is super uncommon, so we already had that, like, that outsiderness to us and that kind of helped form this you know you know uh, uh not a 
like a perspective where you you understand you can understand on a slightly different level of what someone else might be going through and like that outsiderness and that feeling because of that so i think that was kind of almost an innate thing i didn't necessarily realize that that was being taught to me it wasn't as obvious as someone telling me you know hey this is what it is you're white you have to look at this in this light you know or or you have to other other people and you have to make them feel bad for this like there was nothing of that um but i i definitely think that you know white privilege was something that i i knew because i was growing up i was one of like a small handful of of white people in a in a school in the inner city so that was another environment where it was like i i already knew that like being in the inner city that like there was obvious there was an obvious difference between me and my classmates and it was it was an easier conversation because I wasn't always having that conversation with just other white people. Like it was a conversation that was had from like, you know, adolescent, like early adolescence and childhood. So I don't know if there was necessarily like an obvious like lesson. Okay. For me. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, I, this is Louise. I can't believe how different we grew up. Um, I grew up in a small town that, like I said, was the majority of Caucasian and white people. Now, um, I have moved away from my family's views big time because I didn't realize what white privilege was until, honestly, probably about seven years ago, six years ago, and I'm, I'm in my 30s now. Um, and I, that's a little embarrassing for me now, like looking back, but I'm proud to say that I've moved past those, I'd call them negative times where I viewed the world differently. Um, but like my family and what I'm about to say is really harsh and like, it hurts me still. And I get still get into fights with it, but like, I was raised to be afraid of black people, groups of black people. And that stuck with me for a really long time. I didn't realize that that wasn't normal until honestly I started going to college and I realized that there's nothing wrong with other races. There's nothing wrong with my race. There's nothing wrong with any of the races. And I shouldn't be scared of one particular race because that's what my family had told me to do. Another thing that brought light to the things that I don't have to face being a white person is when me and my husband started looking at the possibility of having to adopt a child and we're still in that possibility that realm of possibilities um when we went to the meeting they told us you know there is a really high chance that you're going to have um the ability to adopt a mixed child or a full another cultured child and that was really a big like eye-opener like it really hit me and i had to really think about like how i grew up and the way that i viewed things and I recently realized, especially with the things that have been going on, that at this point in time, I would not allow, if I were to adopt a child and they ended up being African American, I would not allow my child to stay the night at any of my family's house in fear that they would be treated different. I would have to be there, my husband would have to be there to make sure that they didn't feel that they were different, that they didn't feel like they were being attacked. And it made me realize that I would have to warn my potential child that they could be in danger because of the color of their skin. 
And those are things, I'm getting a little emotional, I'm sorry, but these are things that really, really affected me. And I'm so sad that it took me so long to realize these things. And so I've been trying to speak out more about it. Um, but my, like my church that I grew up in, it was just a uh, Lutheran and it, that was never any influence on it. They accepted everybody and that's part of the reason I'm still religious and still follow that. But as far as like who taught me, it'd definitely be my family, but I have absolutely moved away from that. And that is just, I'd say self exploration maybe, or self identification. Like I've, I've realized and I accepted where I am and who I am and the way that I need to be now. I feel like growth is super important and I applaud you for it. Um, I don't know if you've said that before, but um, well, thank you very much. certain things, certain things I personally believe you can't grow from um, because hate, it takes a long time to get rid of, but it's clear by both your words and the way you were raised that hate is not the issue. The issue, I mean, it is the issue, but not for you. You were able to move past that. And I think that's admirable. Yeah. My, um, so my parents were never like racist. Um, they were just white, which most white moderates are. Um, and we, I went to a school with white kids. And um, while I was in school, um, we, my parents were youth pastors, and so they were youth pastors at a city near us that was predominantly uh, black. And so it was never really something that I noticed, to be perfectly honest. Um, like two of those kids my parents adopted, so like it's always just been the way it is, you know. And then I think I was 23 when... I moved to Kansas and met a friend and said friend um, and a bunch of other um, people of color spent a lot of time educating me on a lot of different things. And so I attribute that to their labor because that's emotional labor. Um, and that's what they did for a very long time. Um, and then it was this year when um, it sort of shifted because it wasn't just the online stuff anymore. I can I can be as loud as I want online, but until I put it into boots on the ground, it's ineffectual in my opinion. Um, right. So this year changed a lot, um, and now I have completely different influences that are pushing me to be better. And I feel like that's really important for people to have people around them yeah. to make, help them be better. The continuation of learning over over time, too. I think that was what was the thread between both of what you, um, what Nuance and you, Louise, talked about is, you know, the ability to learn even though you're, you know, you, you know, being an older person or, you know, out of college or, you know, you know, as you even start, you know, as we all get older, I think, you know, the ability to learn and progress and 
figure out what it is that makes you want to help people, what makes you want to have these conversations, um, and how, you know, what kind of disservice you are doing by not doing those things, or, you know, figuring out how, you know, how you contribute to, how you contribute to racism by being silent. It's that the concept of, you know, like white silence being violent. It's like, you know, just because you don't say anything or that you're not the person perpetrating doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't part of the problem. And that's, I think, I, a growth, a growth that a lot of people in the last couple of years have definitely, as, as we, as we all connect over social media, I think that's something that, we now are seeing is you know the thread that kind of holds us all together is like you know we're all we're all still learning and we can accept that you know we don't all know we're not holier than thou we don't know everything and if as long as we're willing to learn and that willingness is there then we can progress i absolutely agree that's absolutely right um just recently, I had talked to someone in my family. I don't want to say who, just because, but I talked to somebody very important in my life, and they told me that the way that they were raised is why they don't think they can change, and they stuck to it. They stuck to those guns, and I, like, we got into it, got pretty heated, and that's when I ended up bringing up to that person that they might not be able to see my child if I were to adopt, and that that is really damaging to me, and that very much hurt them, and then they got very aggressive with me on that like vocally I should say and said things that were hurtful but we ended up making amends and we just said we're not going to talk about it for a little bit but I think it's important to continue to talk about the things of those people that raised you or that grew up with you because if you can change why can't they and why can't they have the opportunity just because you're raised a certain way doesn't mean that you have to stick that out your whole life because sure. as we get older we realize that their excuses are just that their excuses They've always yeah. been excused. Yeah. I think now we're tying them to realize it. Go ahead. I said we're just old enough now to start to realize it. Yeah. yeah. So tying into that um, previous question, comparing the above mentioned environments, i.e. like we just discussed, like schooling and family, um, comparing those environments, how did and how do the, the cultural institutions teach you about race and racism differently? Um, so let's say like family, how would your family teach you about race versus, you know, maybe your church or your school? So they, um, my parents, they went out like, it was just normal. Like it wasn't something we talked about. It was something that was none of our business really. And then you move to the, the people who over the last six, seven years have worked so hard to tell me the things that, they need, that I need to know, things that I need to absorb, learn, and use them to make change. Um, those are completely different things because you've got one side that I'm firm believer that there are three sides in most things. My parents' side was right on that fence, just sitting right atop that fence. They know racism, racism exists and they know it's a problem, but it doesn't affect them, so it's none of their business. Um, they never said that, never went out of their way to be cruel about it. And they weren't outwardly racist, but I mean, we, we as white people, we benefit from 
the oppression of other people and that kind of makes us part of the racist category you know i hate it i really really do but that's why we have to actively fight against it and that is the difference because the people over the last seven years including the people over last summer have all gone ahead in the way that um we educate each other because this is it, it's it's racism but intersectionality is absolutely a thing and so we can't just we can't just do we can't just be active and loud about racism we have to be active and loud about the other aspects within racism like poverty and like misogynoir and like all of those other issues that are based and rooted in racism and that's the difference the difference is ignoring it and pretending it doesn't exist and then actively doing something about it to change it um so like i had said like i want to make this clear that my family i grew up with love <laughs> i grew up well i had no you know i'm i think i'm a well-rounded person at this point and my raising was part of that but I know how I'm talking of making them sound terrible, and there are terrible things, but I'm not going to say it's not. But they went out of their way to mention things that were very um, influential on me up until, like I said, about the beginning of college. And the way I was in high school was not something that I would, I don't like to reflect on. I don't really like to talk about it, but I will because it's important for people to see that people can change. Um, so my family raised me to notice skin color, to notice, you know, um, uh, language barriers and to acknowledge those things. And now I was probably the calmest out of my family as far as even when I was at my worst, I was not near them. Um, so, like I said, when I went to church and would be in church and youth group with other children that may have been of other colors or had a hard time speaking English or anything, I noticed it. It was very noticeable to me because my parents and my, my siblings made it a thing. I was, I'm, I'm very much younger than my siblings. My one brother's almost 10 years older than the other one is past 10 years older than me. So I think I didn't have them influencing me as much as they influenced each other. Um, now outside of that like you were saying that people are highly influential like your your uh your peers and maybe coworkers and such those are influential people as well so um i have some friends that are of different race than me even when i was in high school and i applaud them for sticking with me through this because i know i was not as good as i should have been but i'm thankful that they are there so they have introduced a lot to me and just even seeing them i know it sounds silly but posting on social media about their struggles has really opened my eyes to stuff and then that's where it began and then when we me and my husband went to a um an adoption event to just learn about it i cried because i didn't realize all these different things and they talked i mean we were there for like three hours talking about different things and hey this is what's going to happen this could happen um and just i mean even watching tv i can it's very visual especially this last year everybody you know this last year has been terrible <laughs> but this last year has really opened a lot of like a lot of ideas to me and that's when i started becoming active i went to my first protest and i wish i would have gone to more but i honestly was scared about the covid stuff so i, I didn't but moving forward i have 
promised myself and one of my other best friends has said, we are going to be more active. We are going to go to those protests. We are going to confront people, which I have been doing very harshly to people that I talk to in person, and I will continue to do so. So I think the pure thing, like learning from your peers and people that you end up being around for, you know, most of your day, your or fellow employees and stuff, I think that is a big learning um, opportunity. So sure. I think I think that's, for me, that's how I learned. Yeah. You and I, I, think I definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think that's definitely, it's like you are who you're, you surround yourself with. Maybe not necessarily family, obviously there's some things that you can't change, but it's, if you're associating with people that are empowering and progressive or want to change the status quo, it, it does affect you. You can't escape it. Like it's, it's going to have an effect on you, you know, positive or negative, depending on who you're around, you know? So I think I'm like, nodding here. <laughs> Not yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, there's been a couple of instances, and I think that that was actually more of the instances that I saw where I was, like, more confronted with it was in a work environment, seeing people, like, and having, you know, having another white person give me that, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge when they say something that's, like, pr that's pretty racist. And, and having to call them out and being confronted with that was just like, a, oh, wait, I for you know, it's like when you are surrounded by people that are, you know, that have a certain way of thinking, it takes that like confrontation of someone saying something awful to you or, you know, it takes that instance of that happening to wake up to where like the problems, not necessarily that you didn't know that they existed before because, you know, every, you can't escape, you know, certain conversations or certain topics. Like, you know, you know that they exist, but actually having to confront them and say something I think is another way that, um, it teaches you, it's a teaching moment. You, you learn to like, you have to learn how to, how to talk to another white person about how that's wrong. You know, <laughs> like having, I even just learning how to do I agree. Yeah. Even learning how to do that is like, uh, there's a learning curve there. You were not all equipped with to have those conversations and be like, dude, that wasn't cool. Like, why are you saying that about that person? Like, you know, and, you know, and then, and then putting it in their face of like, what did you say that because it had to do with race? Like, and having that conversation, you know, if you make them explain why it was funny to them, exactly, it will deter exactly. that behavior in the future. And yeah. Why, why did you say that? Or what, what, what why did you think that that was a funny joke? You know, what was, that, why was that a funny I don't understand. And then it's so yeah. awkward. They'll do anything to get out of it. Yeah, totally. So that's going to go into our next one. Um, how do you feel race and racism should be taught to children and young people, both in school and at home? Um, okay, I, I got this one. I'm ready. Uh, <laughs> so... For me, like I said, I know I grew up a lot different than you guys, and, like, we all grew up different, it sounds like, and that's good because we're able to have different perspectives. But I wish that somebody, when I was younger, I don't care, it wasn't because I, I wasn't taught really anything about school. Like I said, I grew up in a small town, and when I say that we're rednecks, we're rednecks. Like, 
that's what we are. So school, we didn't learn about that. There was like a handful of different races there. Like there was not many. We, I, I could name them if I had to, at this, like for my class. <laughs> um, but the way that I, I wish I would have been taught about it is if you see somebody being treated different because of something that they can't control, as in skin color, as in the way you talk, as in maybe disability even, I'm not getting into that, but like, you know, some, all of that bunched together. If you see them getting treated differently, you need to speak out for them. If they're not speaking out for themselves, you need to help and ask them if they need help and ask them if they want you to speak out for them because they need to have a voice too. And I think that's important to teach children is not to just jump in and protect other people every single time. You need to learn that, you know, you need to ask, not permission, but you need to ask and you say, are you okay? Do you, do you need help? Let me help you. You know, do you want me to help you? Something along those lines. And that, that is mostly like a family thing, but even in school they could teach that because if you see something happen at the store and you ignore it, that was blatantly a racist thing, you, like you guys were saying, is a major problem. And, and I think if in school we were taught, if you see somebody being treated poorly, you have every right to offer to help them or jump in if they really have no opportunity to talk to themselves. Jump in, confront that person, be there, be that person that is, I don't want to say like a light, but like just like a, a, a shield almost, like if they can't do it themselves. You know, but get, like I said, I want to say about it, give them the opportunity to speak for themselves. Yeah. I think definitely for me, um, like, like you were saying, it's like, you know, in school and stuff, I think that ties into a lot of like the, I mean, nowadays we get a little bit more um, anti-bullying, but that wasn't always as prevalent when I was growing up. The anti-bullying was not really there. And I think we've, we've cut, we've bridged that. It's like, okay, so we've, we, we're, we're starting, we're starting the path, <laughs> you know, but I don't think we're quite there when talking about race. And I think part of the problem is not having enough voices in the room. You know, you have one teacher expected to teach 20 students and, you know, you don't always have the curriculum to back up those conversations, you know, so adding in, you know, you know, writers or, you know, adding them into the curriculum. So it's like, maybe they're getting, maybe it, that's part of it, you know, having a, you know, having a reading of a Maya Angelou poem or, you know, something along those lines where it's like, we need to have other, other media exposed and that will help the, the conversation start with kids. Um, I mean, obviously there's, there's, a gap in, you know, teaching kids from home because the, you know, I mean, you, like you got, you were saying, um, Louise is like, you know, about your family and how you were raised and like, you had kind of the opposite experience of like being taught, like you, you, you had to learn what not to do, unfortunately, as opposed to what to do. Like you didn't have necessarily, at least when talking about race and racism, you didn't have the, you know, this is how we combat this kind of conversation. You had the, you know, you had it the flip side of like, this is what you have to look out for. You have to make sure you don't talk to this kind of person. And so, you know, it's hard to say like, how should it be taught in the home? Because, you know, 
that's that's where it's overstepping the bounds of like you can't tell parents how to parent you know I mean to a certain extent obviously like abusive you know behavior is not tolerable and if you see it you have to call it out and and do something about it to protect people but is you know that's the other side is 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 a white person teaching their white child racism by default is that abuse you know like that's you know we how do you step in and say like you can't teach your kid that you know I think so that's another conversation but you know I think it's easier to say what what we should do in schools I think because we have so much material and um basically the scripts written for us there's so much out there in terms of like you know movies and texts and like literature and you know you know activists and you know teachers and like examples like you like Jane Elliott you know and how she her experiment of like teaching kids you know the blue eye brown eye experiment that she did but we don't necessarily have that for in the home so I think maybe that's like something that's like we just kind of all have to kind of learn how to uh how to talk about that with our own families so that they can kind of pass that along I don't even, you know, so my perspective is going to be a little different and I'll tell you why. Uh, I have four kids um, and we were doing distance learning, but distance learning is homeschooling with extra steps. So I pulled them out. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, geez, why be micromanaged when I can do it myself? Um, so some of that, because of the fact that I am as I'm, I'm moving as much as I am in that direction with a lot of different things because of, you know, driving down to the city and because of TikTok and everything else that I'm doing, the kids, my kids hear and see a lot, like a lot, a lot. Um, and so of course that's naturally going to create questions. Now I, adamantly do not trust the public school system in the town that they were in to teach my children anything about racism that is relevant to our current climate. Because think about it, they tell the kids about 1960s racism, like it's not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, totally. They, they, they teach them this big whitewashed version of race. How do you whitewash racism so severely? And so I don't trust them to teach my kids anything that's going to help them be better. Now, it's it's easy to not say racist things when people don't say racist things around you. So they never did any of that. But I'm telling you, and I will tell everyone this, watch stuff with your kids. Watch stuff. Mm. Like, for, for social studies last week, because it's almost February, and because um, of tomorrow, because MLK, we watched a, it was a kid's movie, and it was an American movie, and it was like, I can't remember her name, I think it was Melody, and it was like 1964, and let me tell you what, this movie hit so hard on all of the issues, I was surprised it was a kid's movie. It was so... It was, it was, 
I bawled my eyes out watching this movie with my kids. I bawled my eyes out. Um, and my eight-year-old, who is the carbon copy of her mother, because I really said copy-paste four times, um, <laughs> she had so many questions. And I find that educating them with books and with movies and actually with actual people of color helps so much. Now, I'm going to be very, very careful with this next part because I have to be very, very careful with this next part. I came home a couple of times over the last eight months limping and bruised. And I had to explain to my children why. And it always bothered me since day one that me needing to explain to my children why I am hurt, because we all know, I'm not going to say it because I can't say it, but we all know how I got hurt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, having to explain that to them and understanding that my very white children are hearing this for the first time at ages three, five, eight, and 12. And they're hearing this for the first time. Wow. Yeah. People of color in this country and anyone who isn't white, straight, and male and cis is just, it's their life. It's their whole life from mm -hmm. birth. Imagine having kids and having to tell them, like, hey, this is how we get treated. Right. And so Living I also, is a lot different, for sure. Well, and you can't, you cannot, I'm sorry, but it can't happen. You cannot educate your children on an issue, any issue, unless you educate yourself first. Absolutely. Because if, if you don't know what you're talking about, you can't explain it to them. And so they won't understand. Mm -hmm. And so that means we as parents have to go and sit down and do the work. If uh, I remember our co-founder, one of our co-founders told us to watch, um, what was it called? So this is a harsh word and I don't like using it, but I'm reading the title of the thing. It was called The Rape of Reese Taylor. Hmm. And so I watched this, right? And God, just every time, just every time, because I have to, I have to know what I'm talking about. I have to be educated, but I am, I'm very emotional, empathetic person. And so yeah. it's just me to shreds, but we have to do it. We have to, this is not yeah. a choice anymore. It can't be a choice anymore. It's yeah. never gonna stop. And so that means it is our job to educate better human beings. Yeah, I think it also, it's, uh, you know, with it, it, tying into the like living in, you can't live in someone else's skin. So there's a certain, there's a certain level that we will never be able to understand. But it's the, um, there's so much, like I was saying, in terms of like literature and lived experience, experiences that we have, we have so much material to teach ourselves with and imparting that to kids is, 
it's hard, but it's also like you have to be prepared for their questions because kids are really good at questions. <laughs> I remember so, I, was talking, I was talking about this with someone on the phone, so I'm just letting you all know if you have Facebook, you are now probably going to receive ads. It is a book series, and it says a, um, a book for kids about, and it was racism, and it was sexism, and it was all the hard issues. and. I thought that was neat. It helps too. Yeah, having good source um, material and analyzing yeah. that is a really good. Yeah, it's a it's a good start. I mean, so yeah. um, I don't want to say where this is or where I do this, but I teach at a college, and that was a big like that was I should have said that in last, and that was part of my place that I've learned how different people are and how okay it is to be a different looks, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I have nieces who are in their twenties because I, like I said, I'm significantly younger than my siblings. And when I started realizing this stuff, I started talking about it and I started acknowledging the things that I had grown from and that I had moved away from. And they started seeking me and asking me questions because their parents, were raised like I was, and they didn't move away from it. So they started saying, well, what do you mean? Well, how is that? And they started asking more questions. And let me tell you, both my, both of my nieces that are in their 20s went to protest with me over the summer, and both of them went to multiple Black Lives Matter protests, and I'm so damn proud of them. I'm sorry for not supposed to swear, but I'm so, so proud. Like, I can't emphasize it enough that they did what I did. They moved away from it. They saw what was wrong. They realized that the things that they grew up around weren't right. And I think talking to your even extended family about things is important. So that's another way. Um, I mean, I think if they were younger and I was doing this, I don't think my siblings would allow me to talk to them. Now, I'm not trying to bash them, but I really think that they would have shut me down from being able to talk to them about these things. So I'm thankful that they were older and able to talk to me and do it on their own will. And I think that helped a lot. So I think that's uh, another thing I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that actually ties perfectly into our next question, which was, as a white person, what do you feel is your active role in combating racism institutionally and culturally? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll continue just because I was already talking a second ago about that. But yeah, so in, in inviting them to see these things with me and experience them was what I would call a big deal and that they had the opportunity to see beyond their own lives, if that makes sense, um, that they were able to move past that and see that they're not the only ones here, that there are problems outside of their simple lives or that they can do more and that they can be active and that they can say more. Um, one of my nieces was threatened to be kicked out of the house if she went to one of the protests and you know what she did? She went to the protest and I was so so happy and I told her she could stay at my house for as long as she needed if that happened and it didn't because it didn't matter to that person in the long run um, mm -hmm. that threatened them like that. Um, I think what you guys are saying is not just being keyboard warriors and saying, you know, racism is bad, racism is bad and, you know, Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. Saying that online doesn't, it means a lot. It, it gets people talking, but it doesn't do much in the long run. And I think confronting people, one, face to face, is a bigger deal like you guys were also saying much earlier that people don't want to talk 
about it face to face. It gets scared. Actually, I think we might have talked about this beforehand, but um, when you confront somebody face to face, it's much more intimidating for them to have to say all these negative and hateful things and explain themselves. Um, and the other one is obviously protesting and being active in the community and making an awareness of things. So that's yeah. how I think that we need to proceed forward. I definitely applaud you for um, opening the door for your family because that's I think that's something that's that's such an active way to be able to do it is opening your door and saying you know what not only are you being the the bridge for them to have access because they might not have been able to go out on their own to the protest but they you know you opening the door for them and saying like hey I'm going do you want to go that's that bridging that is so much more because it gets there's more bodies. That's more activists. Those are activists in their in their baby in their infancy, you know. But those yeah. are the you know their tomorrow. That's what tomorrow is going to look like. Is what the, is the, you know the, that generation. So that's a beautiful way of like I think helping to you know. And I've seen people like offering rides and you know that kind of thing. Those that's uh, a, a really lovely like active way to. Um, to you know, play your part, I guess, in the uh, combating of it. I definitely agree. Um, I think that as far as, because I've talked a lot about this question already, but as far as culturally, um, we are in an age where you can literally go on Facebook and type a specific kind of, um, events like you can find culturally focused events, right? For different mm -hmm. cultures, kids, take your relatives, take your friends, take other people. If we can open up our horizons to other cultures and knowledge of other cultures instead of colonizing them and appropriating them, mm -hmm. I think that would go a long, long way in making us more active, you know, because then we have, obviously we're never going to experience those, like, I'm not making sense, but I feel like, so you can't, you can't necessarily, like, you can't understand, but you can try to relate. Right. Exactly. We're to it by understanding the culture is definitely a empathy. way to embrace that. Empathy is huge in all this. Mm -hmm. I think we only have two left. So describe your feeling of sharing your perspective today. Uh, go ahead. Um, so I was uh, nervous when I first accepted do, like speaking with you guys, but um, and I feel bad about talking about my family in a certain light, um, but also I think it's important to acknowledge when people you care about or want to respect aren't very respectful. Um, so saying these things, I've almost cried a few times. I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I'm holding it together, but like my eyes have welled up a few times listening to you guys talk and speaking about my own situation is really emotional and it feels good that I can let it out. I can explain this stuff. I can say the things that happened or will happen or I'm doing currently. So I feel like a, a weight. It just feels good to talk about these things and not in a combative 
situation, if that makes sense. So it's very light, free. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, therapeutic in a way. And I think it's, I'm really happy to be able to have conversations like this because, you know, like we're talking about, you know, how do we have active roles and like, you know, thinking about being, I don't know, like thinking about being a white person in a room of white people, is there, are there active ways that we can, you know, really, really change the minds and hearts of people around us? And like, those conversations are so important. So it feels so good to talk to people and especially of different backgrounds. Um, yeah. I definitely wanted to add in, even from the last question, like another way of combating that like we don't really talk about enough and we've only recently talked about it because we just had an election, but voting is so like, it's so crucial and getting people to, getting people to want to voice their opinion. Cause that's something that like, um, I've talked to a lot of people about like a lot of people like opt out of like voting when they when they think that they only have like the lesser of two evils to vote for or you know some, a concept like that is what keeps them like they don't want to you know they want to it's like I don't know they want to vote for someone that they're you know over the over the moon about as opposed to like someone who will get that step further and I love there's an analogy out there uh, I'm pretty sure someone in my family has mentioned it a few times but uh, you're not buying the bus you just have to pick a bus to take you to that like that in the direction that you want to be going you know so like it's just, yeah like you don't have to you're not buying into the bus itself you're not buying the bus and driving it you have to like you know, it's, you're just, you're buying a ticket and you're getting on and you're hoping that it's going to go in the direction that you need it to, to get to the future that you want to see. And I think, I don't know, I just, I really like hearing other people's perspectives and especially from different backgrounds. I think we all came from like vastly different backgrounds. And that's something that I, I really, you know, especially within, within a white culture, it's sometimes it's hard to like see that there really is like you know not just those socioeconomic like boundaries but also the the culture of the white people around you even you know like the environment of you know dealing with people who have hate on their mind or have you know you know something like other priorities and don't really want to talk about things I don't know. I just, I like talking about these issues so much. And I think it's just, I don't know. I just love it. Love sharing with people and hearing other people's thoughts on it. Well, and it's it's nice to um, be able to, when you're having a conversation about racism in a predominant, in like a completely white space, it's a little odd. Um, It can feel uncomfortable because we don't experience racism. It's easy for us to be like, well, this is what we think when we have no idea really, you know? Um, So it's nice to be able to discuss it in a way that's not, in a way that's positive, in a way that can, you know, propel towards change. And the conversation itself was lovely, especially considering where, probably most of our brains have been from, you know, the sixth. 
So it's nice to have, like, to be able to slow down and, like, really hit on main points so that we can sort of unpack, you know, more whiteness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely looking forward to uh, future episodes of uh, this concept of whiteness and autopsy of. I think the last question that we uh, we have is uh, name one thing someone else said that touched you today. Um, I don't know if I can pick one, so I'm gonna pick a few things if that's all right. Um, <laughs> Go for it. I think you speaking with your children about this and letting it be an emotional thing and letting them see what happens when you stand up and that it's okay to stand up for other people. And just the way that you present yourself to your kids is really admirable. And I'm very happy that there's people like you out there. Um, And then I also appreciate that you saw that your family necessarily didn't go down the bad route, but there was also more you could do and that you grew from that. So I, I like that I heard both you guys say that, that you grew from where you started and that was just really like uplifting. So I really value that and I want you guys to feel proud about that. Like I do for you guys. Um, I like that, um, (laughs) you know, when you said that you don't want to talk bad about, you know, your family, right? Yes. That was super sweet to me. Um, it's, it's, it's very difficult to, um, sorry, I'm having a hard time remaining focused. Um, (laughs) it's very difficult to buck from the way you were raised because you have to buck against people you care about. Mm. And it's not that, you know, they say courage is not being afraid. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. And so, I can tell that you do have a little justifiable fear of, you know, well, if they hear this, blah, blah, blah. And I want you to know that that's completely valid. But it it made me feel a little happy that you were like, you know, they're not all bad. Thank you. Yeah. That's like, you know, you recognize that they can still be good people and have... um, and have hard feelings about things and like not necessarily that they're, you know, you you know, we, we all want to think that we're good people. And I think that's the other hard part. Like, you know, you talk, you talking about how, you know, the hurtful things that you've heard your family say and, and knowing that there's other aspects of them that can be kind and can express this, you know, like loving family environment. And yet, have these other like really hard harsh feelings and that's being able to like accept it and like and and constantly having to combat that is really really hard but the fact that you were like you know you i mean you even saying that like you know like me and nuance talking about our you know like where we came from and how we grew and whatnot and saying that you were proud of that it's just that's not, that in and of itself makes me feel like the warm and fuzzies because I'm like, wow, like, you know, 
you, cause you don't think that you're going to have that much of an impact when you talk about like your life and, Oh, you know, this is how I was raised and that's how I was raised. And you know, you don't think that you're going to have that kind of impact on other people when you speak up to that. But I don't know that, that when you said that, I was just like, Oh man, <laughs> I got the warm fuzzies from that because oh. it just was like, Oh, like, you know, you don't necessarily think that just talking and just holding the conversation is going to have the kind of impact that it does on other people. And I think that's even something that ties into the topic perfectly of like, you know, as long as we're, as long as we're talking about things we're learning and as long as we're willing to hold conversations, we can start to like move forward and like, you know, treat this, treat the topic and the, the progression with respect and try to move forward in a, in a positive light. And I think there is a very fine line between um, holding people accountable but letting them grow and realizing that there is no hope in cutting them off, which both are are very difficult to do um, because, you know, it it sounds like, it absolutely sounds like you've been holding them accountable, but it's hard right? Because you have to call it out immediately and conflict is not pleasant ever. And frankly, we're white. So the immediate reaction is to be angry, you know, so (laughs) it's hard, but what's also hard is watching them do those things, be that way. You know, it doesn't, because you know how to talk to your family. I know how to talk to my family. Like we all know how to talk to our families in ways that they will understand, drawing on things that they will understand and communicating with them in those specific ways. And I feel like some people are just, we have to let them grow or we have to let them go. Yeah, I didn't talk about that, but I actually have let some family members go recently because of this stuff. and. I didn't want to get really emotional, so I didn't. But yeah, I, I think that is absolutely a big point that letting people go is hard, but if they are so willing not to listen or to grow or to move forward or anything along those lines, I think it is important to understand that difference. Yeah. Like, you know when you're talking to a brick wall, I think, and that's the acceptance that a lot of people have to face, especially white people talking about race and racism. If you are a progressive person or you have this view of the future that has all people being treated equally, then it's like you you recognize when you're talking to a brick wall, like, especially family members, because like you said, it's like, you know, you, you know how to say things to them that make them... that can help them understand and at a certain point you're you don't want to waste your hot air on on people that are never going to accept it it's not that you're not saying that they can't change it's that they've actively told you repeatedly that they're not going to yeah right so i had a ton of warm fuzzies talking to you guys today by the way i just wanted to make sure you guys heard that yeah I definitely look forward to the next episode on uh, an autopsy on the concept of whiteness. I think we'll get some deeper questions going in the next one. We 
we've only just started talking about this topic and I think it deserves so much more space. So, um, absolutely. Agree. Yeah. All righty. Well, I am nuance and, and this yeah. is uh, clarity. I guess we're, uh, are we signing off here? Yeah, we're signing off. See you guys later. Thanks again for having me. No problem. Bye. Bye.